groovy episode 83 fractured skulls terminator travis alongside my good pal monoxide we're back it's been a while but we're back again it's been a very hectic like month or two where we've had to take a week off every time because of some unforeseen circumstance this last week it was wrestlemania weekend yep last weekend was wrestlemania weekend and wrestlemania weekend is now over First things first, we also have a lot of news stories. Some of this might be a little old, maybe a week or so old, but, you know, we never give our thoughts, and we like to discuss it. I'll get the big news story out of the way is that uh, Discovery has finalized their deal with Warner Brothers, which was they closed their $43 billion deal. $43 billion! And Warner Brothers is now repackaged as Warner Brothers Discovery. And the first seems like their pet project they're doing with uh, WB is that they're going to overhaul all of the DC projects and, you know, and try to come up with a big plan for the future. A lot of people worry about AEW, but I don't think that's going to be their biggest priority right now. Their priority seems like it's going to be the DC Entertainment uh, branch and what they're going to do with that. Some people predicting that um, a few theories is that they want a producer to oversee the, the whole DC universe. Kind of like a Kevin Feige with the Marvel movies. I mean, DC never really had that. I mean, they had a few guys uh, who they thought, you know, who were supposed to be doing this, but the the, the movies just kind of went down the toilet because they they hot-shotted everything. And then before you know it, like, they had so many fallouts with all these actors, all these directors, and the people they're still in touch with is Ezra Miller and Amber Heard, and they have so much heat on them right now. It's like, what in the hell? In other words. a bunch of bullshit. A bunch of bullshit. So, as of right now, um, DC wants more Joker-like projects. I should say Discovery. They want more Joker-like movies. I guess how they take a secondary character and kind of like exploit them with, with you know, with a film like that. So, I I don't know what's going to happen with the DC films. They try to do a DC universe we mentioned with Zack Snyder. And, well, we all saw how that turned out. I can't... I. They may want to hit the reset button on that again. I don't know. But for me, for that to work, you kind of need a producer who has a plan. Some people have mentioned, well, what if they make a deal with Christopher Nolan and try to get him back on board? They could they could do that. But Nolan, I think he considers himself to be more of a filmmaker than a producer. And on top of that, Nolan has a lot of outside projects he wants to do. And, he, and we just mentioned that he's making a movie for uh, Universal for the first time because... Throughout his whole film filming career, he's made movies for Warner Brothers, and I think he had a falling out with them. Of course, they could, always, they could always make up, but I don't think Christopher Nolan's the right guy for that, honestly. Well, he already did what he had to do with Batman. What more could he do? Other than that he could have followed up with Robin. I thought that, I had actually thought at the time when he did Dark Knight Rises that that was the next direction was Robin was going to take over. But he never did. So I think that ship has sailed. So it's or, or could it have been Robin turning into Nightwing? I don't know. That's all assumption because Nolan never even dreamt of the idea. I already said that Nolan's got issue. I've got issue with Nolan for not inserting Riddler. We saw that Riddler was in the new Batman film, and. Uh, it showed he had no excuse to not incorporate him. 
Uh, I think the excuse was, oh, I don't know how I would put him into my universe since it's more realistic. You figured out how to fucking put Bane in there. You couldn't figure out the Riddler. This movie here did a fantastic job and picked the right guy in Paul Nano to do it. Yeah, no excuse. Now, that being said, if they're going to do side projects like... I don't want it to just be Joker. I love the Joker. He's a great villain and all, but it seems like that's our go-to. Let's just make Joker films. It's fine, but there are other villains in the Batman universe that you can definitely make backstories of. Harvey Dent as Two-Face. You can do Riddler. You can do Penguin. You can do... I don't know if Catwoman's a villain. She's more like an anti-hero. You can do Poison Ivy. You can do Ra's al Ghul. Do Mr. Freeze. You got all these uh, ventriloquists. You got all these array of villains that you can do stuff with. Clayface, Killer Croc. Just figure out ways to do with them. And, and I'm only talking Batman. You said the whole DC universe. You got a whole plethora of different stuff you can work with. That being said, I, I'm getting freaking burnt out with all these superhero movies. So it's not going to really, like, delve me too deep into it. If it's Batman, I'll give it a shot, because Batman's my favorite comic. But, uh, any other superhero, maybe Deadpool, I'll, I'll throw him in there. Any other Superpole, any other superhero, go suck a dick. <laughs> I, I can't, I don't know, it's weird, because, let's just say they're going to, if they wanted to do another DC, um their own little cinematic universe kind of like what Marvel's doing. I can't see them hitting the hitting like telling Matt Reeves, all right, Matt, um, we're not gonna do Batman too because we we're gonna start over. We're gonna we're gonna go again with this whole um uh multiverse of movies with all these superheroes crossing over with each other. So uh sorry we're your Batman movie. You did fun. I know you wanna make another one, but uh this plan is not gonna work for us, brother. About that Joker too, Joaquin, yeah we're not gonna do that anymore. So yeah. I, I can't see them just telling all those directors, right? Just, you know, just like buzz off. Honestly, I think a lot of these movies, the DC films, work better as standalone movies. The reason the Marvel ones worked, like the, the Avengers movie, was that they were making all these movies in time with them. Iron Man, Thor, uh, the new Spider-Man films. The only ones I guess they, they couldn't make was Hulk because they don't have the rights to Hulk. Yeah, they don't have the filming movie rights to Hulk. That's still owned by Universal. And I think Spider-Man too, right? He's owned by Sony. Yeah, Spider-Man and all the other his side characters owned by Sony. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Disney would love to buy Spider-Man, but Sony's going to ask for like a ridiculous amount of money. And I don't think Sony's ever going to sell him. Well, no, nor should Unless they. Unless Disney buys Sony. Well, they could do that, but I don't think they'll ever want to buy Sony or sell spider-man that's that, that's like nintendo trying to sell mario you want to sell your bread and butter hell no that ain't gonna happen but and i hope not because then that would mean the rise of universal would close and i don't want that to happen god don't do that anyways um that being said it, it worked because all these movies were going in 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 conjunction with each other and that's what eventually made those movies as epic as they did um, unfortunately, you don't have any consistent movies to go by to create like a Justice League type of movie that would theoretically uh, spark interest. I mean, this new Batman film has gotten a lot of critical praise. 
I don't think it was the best Batman film. It was a great Batman film, but I still think that Robert Pattinson still needs to work out on his Bruce Wayne persona because he still has not tackled that down. He's got Batman down, but he doesn't have Bruce Wayne down. Well, it was definitely a Batman movie. It was, but there were moments he was Bruce Wayne, and he did a horrible job being Bruce Wayne. Well, how many... How, I mean, Bruce Wayne was on screen, what? Ten minutes the most? More than that. There were scenes where he was Bruce Wayne interacting with actual civilians, and he still kept acting like Batman. Well, he, he acted like emo. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, it's one thing you act like emo to Alfred, but when you're acting emo to the rest of the world, it's like, how are they not putting two and two together that you may be Batman? At least when you're Bruce Wayne, you can differentiate the two. Well, some people have said he hasn't developed his Bruce Wayne persona yet. He hasn't developed that whole ladies' man gimmick yet. I mean, dude, he's... <laughs> At this point, we've already gone through the fact that he got his two parents killed, He's already developed the Batman persona, and he's been Batman, what, a year up to this point, and he still can't develop Bruce Wayne? Nah, I'm buying Well, yeah, that's uh, guys, what's going on with um, their DC overhaul. I mean, that includes video games as well. Oh, great. Video games. Every, I mean, when it comes to everything, video games, uh, animation movies, animation shows, TV shows, live-action movies, everything. They want to do an entire overhaul of all that. I don't know what you're overhauling in video games. Did they have the rights to Resident Evil or some shit? Uh, no. I think I think they want to give a lot of the more secondary heroes, the secondary characters, a shot to shine. Okay. So I mean, it's just it's just, it's a wait and see at this point. I mean, I, I hear they want to give super. They want to make another, possibly make another Superman movie. Um, I mean, they have a lot of, it's a lot of ideas, uh, we just gotta wait and see what happens, but I think when it comes to DC, if they were to ever do another universe, if they want to give it another try, I think they should put more faith in their filmmakers. I mean, look what Christopher Nolan did. I mean, Batman was hurt after Batman and Robin. It took them seven years for, before they released another Batman movie. Under a, a director who was still relatively new, not many people knew about him. And look what he did. Say those movies made him. Yeah, it made him and it helped revitalize the Batman character. Yeah. And in the whole really comic book movies in general. Yeah. And now movies are following the dark tone because of the Dark Knight trilogy, so. And this new Batman was darker than those films. I mean, could you imagine another director coming in? I'm going to make the new Batman movie more darker. It's just going to be a black picture. And that's the whole movie. Yeah. Yeah, it would just... <laughs> the sounds. So we're going to see how um, Discovery, what their plans are for, are for the DC Entertainment. And let's just hope it does. It works out. And speaking of Batman, it's going to be dropping on uh, HBO Max this Monday. This recording, by the way, is on April 16th, 2022. And also dropping on Monday is the, is the final season premiere of Better Call Saul. That is going to be something. So this is what, their sixth season? Their sixth and final season, and it's already been rumored that um, Jesse and Walter are going to be making, are going to be appearing. I guess that's where it interlocks with Breaking Bad. Yeah, because they got to tie it all in. Tie it all in. And hopefully we'll get... Because every season it starts with um, Saul and his new wife as a Cinnabon manager. 
I want to see the conclusion of that as well. It's going to be interesting. I don't know if there'll be another spinoff show, but... I would like one, at least one more movie. If if nothing happens to Saul, I would like a one, a one more film just on the current situation of Saul Goodman. As of Saul, we don't need another movie on Jesse. Jesse has its conclusion. Yeah. And every other character's got their conclusion. Maybe a movie on the other characters that survived, such as uh, Walt Jr. and uh, Skylar, the daughter, and Hank's wife. They're the only ones that, realistically, who were mainstay characters that survived to the very end. And Jesse, of course, but... So we'll see what happens with that as well. Can't wait. Um, well, in our next news stories, our next two are going to be a little sad. Especially this one, I'm going to mention it now. Gilbert Gottfried has passed away. Every time I think of Gilbert, I always think of the film The Problem Child movies. I don't know if you've ever seen those. No. Oh, man, you're missing out. Uh, damn, I was like, they're not streaming anywhere. That's sad. Someone's got... Why? Someone's got to stream The Problem Child movies. Those movies are so underrated. Uh-huh. So, my only real memory of Gilbert Gottfried, I mean, obviously he had the voice that everybody knew about, but my biggest memory of Gilbert Gottfried was uh, he participated on a show, to all you youngins out there who don't know, he participated in a show called Hollywood Squares, and there was celebrities in these nine boxes, and uh, they would get a bunch of people, they would get uh, Goldberg, Teller and all that. And the point of the game was you had to uh, do tic-tac-toe. Um, and you would pick a celebrity. The guy would ask the celebrity a question. The celebrity would answer it. And you had to say, I agree or I disagree. And if you agree and you uh, the celebrity was right, you get the X or the O. If you disagree and he was wrong, you get the XRO, but if you agree and he was actually wrong, then you would lose your point, and same vice versa. So Gilbert Gottfried was the last square for the win. And so the first contestant would come up, guy would ask Gilbert Gottfried a question, he would answer it. The contestant would say, I agree or I disagree, and he would respond with, you fool! And this went on for like a good five or ten minutes because they just couldn't get this question right. Matter of fact, one of the questions was a uh, a wrestling question. Big bad professional wrestler Steve Austin goes by the nickname of what? And Gilbert Godfrey goes, the crusher. Woman goes, I'll agree. You fool! <laughs> just keeps going on and on. There was one where the guy says, uh, the the... 19, I think it was the 1917 Chicago Cubs uh, had a significant thing. What, uh, what was it? And he goes, it was the last perfect pitch game. Guy just sits there. He's like, oh, no. I, I don't know. I don't know. Is this right? And he goes, I'll agree. You fools. <laughs> Once again, it was. I think it was the last World Series that the Chicago Cubs had won. But this went on and on, and then eventually contestant won. But th- th- it was a running gag because every time you would just be like, "You fool!" and it just got funnier and funnier and funnier because nobody was able to get it right. So it actually went on to a commercial break. So that was my memory of Gilbert Gottfried. 
Uh, he was. He did the voice of the uh, parrot bird in Aladdin. The red bird. With, yeah, uh, it's been a while. Yeah. It's been a long time since I've seen Aladdin. It's been a long time since I've seen all those Disney films. In fact, the last of the classic Disney films I'd seen was Cinderella, and that was probably like a good 10, 15 years ago. Zippity boppity boo. For a second, I thought you were going to do zippity doo da. Zippity doo da. But yeah, he was 67 years old. So sad. I mean, it was. I saw a photo of him, uh, Louie, and um, uh, Bob Saget. Mm-hmm. And think that all three of them are gone now. This year. Yeah. Very short span, too. Oh. Yeah. 67 years old, and. Rest in peace, Mr. Godfrey. You will be missed. He had the voice, he had the look. Very funny guy. Very funny voice, too. You fool! And our last news story is going to Bruce Willis. He has... He is stepping down from acting. He is retiring. Um, he has... Uh, he's sick. Let me get the story here. Yeah, I mean... I only remember him from Die Hard and Pulp Fiction. Oh, 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 and the Expendables movies. Well, yeah, he's a, he's a legendary actor in the action world, but I always thought he was a very good dramatic actor as well. But over the recent years, you can find his movies on Amazon, Netflix. And they came out between 2018 and 2021. He did these, these very low-budget action films. And I and I did a little research, and it turned out he was getting paid like a million dollars, a million to two million, to do these movies. And he did like, what was it, fifteen films within like three years? And he was only on set for like not even a week. He would literally arrive, say his lines, and leave. And in some of those films, he would wear an earpiece because he didn't know his lines. So, so wait. Were none of these films that he were in with none of them was a major role for him? He was old minor. He was billed as a major. He was billed as a leading man, but he was barely in the movie. Oh, I hate those types of movies where they tout that somebody's like the major role and then they're in it for like five minutes. It's like I don't know who this producer is, but if you know the guy, have you ever heard of the producer Roger Corman? Nah. Like, he's known to make rip-off movies of, like, famous films. For example, uh, when Jaws was a huge hit in the 70s, he would make, like, these copycat movies for, like, a budget of a million bucks. You have, like, Piranha or, or Invaders from the Deep. Like, these corny, cheesy films. But the difference with Roger Corman is that he surrounded himself with a lot of talented filmmakers who went on to make very big films. Like Joe Dante. Joe Dante made a Jaws ripoff called Piranhas. Spielberg loved that movie so much. He said that was the best ripoff film he's seen. He contacted Joe Dante and they made Gremlins. Mm. Joe Dante went on to make Gremlins 2, Small Soldiers. But he, uh, Roger Corman discovered a lot of directors. Uh, James Cameron. Of, I mean, so many. I, I'm, I'm drawing a blank, but he's a lot of uh, directors, producers, actors. Jack Nicholson got his start through Roger Corman. But there's uh, the reason I bring that up is because Roger Corman discovered people 
whoever these people are making like these action films, they're just a bunch of nobodies, but they make it like these actors who were once big names like uh, Bruce Willis or Megan Fox or uh, John Cusack. All those red box actors they would get to do these these like second rate action films. But they get Bruce Willis because he's a big name. And a lot of uh, overseas investors will pay big money because, oh, that Bruce Willis is a diehard. And that's what Bruce Willis has been doing for, like, the past three years. It's kind of fucked up because he's, like, the highest paid actor just to be on set for, like, four days. Maybe maybe a week if you're lucky. And yet, you know, everybody else is, isn't even getting paid to... Not even to, getting paid to little or nothing compared to what Bruce Willis is making. I don't know. I would feel so guilty. Well, I guess that's the, uh, the price that has to be paid once you're an established actor. Like you're you're the reason that people are gonna pay to see this film. So, regardless of your if you're in it for four minutes, forty minutes, or four hours, you're still the driving force as to why people are gonna go out of their way to reach into their wallet and pay for a ticket or pay for whatever copy of the movie to watch it. Sadly, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, that's what Bruce Willis has been doing. A lot of people have not liked him for that because it's like, oh, he's taking the easy way. Just, he's just collecting a paycheck. But then later, it was speculated that it was never confirmed, but people felt that some have said that maybe Bruce Willis has done these movies because he was trying to save up as much money as he possibly can for his health and for his children. Could be. I mean, I'm, I'm not a mind reader. I'm not a telepath. I don't know what his thinking was. If that's the case, I don't see what's wrong with that. Not only that, I don't see what's wrong with him just wanting to cash in a million dollars and just do four minutes. I mean, that makes me want to be like him to be able to make as much money as possible without having to do as much as other people would. Like, how many people do you know that want to actually work eight hours a day making very little money? As opposed to just working very limited amount of hours, but you're making ridiculous amount of money. Yeah, because your name, his name still has value to a lot of people. All right, so don't blame him. The nature of the beast. I don't know if he's necessarily taking spots or whatever, but in the end, he just wants to make whatever money he can and go. Yeah, and uh, that's what he's been doing for the past couple years. I mean, as I mentioned, uh, you can find these movies on Netflix, Amazon Prime, uh, wherever, any, Hulu. I mean, you'll see, you'll see the titles on it, like Breach. Uh, anything that says Bruce Willis 2019, you're like, okay, it's one of those movies. But, but if you look at it, in the end, nobody's going to remember these movies. Because they're only going to remember the good stuff. They're going to remember Die Hard. They're going to remember... Pulp Fiction. They're gonna remember Unbreakable. Even his work with M Night Shyamalan, he he had good performances in. Yeah, that's six cents. That really does take some doing, since the director is working as hard as possible against you. <laughs> I'm just saying. But yeah, Bruce Willis. Um, he has retired. I know he's had he has a lot of health issues. So, you know, I'm I'm pulling for you, Bruce. You're still John McClane, man. You're still one of the best. I love Die Hard with a Vengeance. Great. One of the best action sequels. Sure. Him and Samuel were, for ta- were fantastic together. You ever see Die Hard with a Vengeance? You ever see the Die Hard movies? 
saw the first one like a long time ago and it just didn't intrigue me enough to want to watch it again. I recommend Die Hard 3. I think that's I think that's the best sequel out of all of them. I'll only because it. only because of his chemistry with Samuel, they're so funny together. Yeah. They didn't. Re- oh no, I was gonna say no. Nah, they didn't work together in Pulp Fiction. They were in it t- in the same movie, but they never really did any scenes together. So. No, I know he did. No, yeah, because in seeing the bar, he went to the bathroom and then Travolta ran into him. Yeah. <laughs> Travolta, and they nearly fought each other in that scene. I guess kind of set up the uh, foreshadowing uh, uh, Travolta's death later in, the, in that movie. Oh, it would have happened regardless because he knew he was being hunted. But uh, yeah, I guess you could say. Because now he's got a face to attach it to. But that's, that's all our news stories. And I guess we will get into uh, today's film discussion. We have two films. Well, the new Doctor Strange movie's coming out. And guess who's the director of that film? Sam Raimi. That's right. It's Sam Raimi's first feature film he's done in over 10 years. Sam and Raimi. And the last, yeah, and the last project he's directed, like, not movie-related, was the pilot episode of Ash vs. Evil Dead. You know, it's funny. What, what it's happened to the show? Why did that show get canceled? Uh, low ratings. Really? Yeah. Okay. The thing is, the, the Evil Dead franchise has a huge cult following, but that's all it ever was. It was just a cult status. It was never mainstream. I think mainstream people have heard of it, but they never went out of their ways way for it like the diehards have. By the way, speaking of Evil Dead, there's a documentary on Shutter called Hell to the Deadites. I heavily recommend it. Okay, so then, if he was just a cult type of guy... How did Sam Raimi get the acquisition to be able to direct Spider-Man? Well, let's see. In the 80s after Evil Dead, he did a film called Crime Wave, which was written by the Coen brothers, who did, of course, No Country for Old Men. Mm-hmm. That, that movie bombed. Raimi was struggling. Because in the 80s, it was kind of like his struggling period. Then he did. He went back to Evil Dead. He did this film. We're going to discuss in a few Evil Dead Two, which came out in 1987. He wrote it with his. Who did he write it with? I think he wrote it with Scott Spiegel. He wrote it with Scott Spiegel uh, and it stars Campbell and his brother Ted is play, plays uh, Henrietta, the uh, zombie form. But he did this film. It was a, it was a success, and it got the attention of Hollywood. His next film after this one, I believe, was Dark Man. And Darkman, I think, was a moderate success. And it was successful enough for him to uh, pitch Evil Dead 3, which was Army of Darkness, which is our other film we're going to talk about later. I think that film bombed, but Hollywood liked him. They liked his style. And they threw other films at him. which They threw other mainstream films at him, but they knew he was good at doing comic book movies. Because originally, Darkman was supposed to be The Shadow. Shadow was a combo character from the 30s. And they eventually did do The Shadow with Alec Baldwin that came out in 94. It's kind of one of those 90s forgotten comic book movies with like the Phantom, Tank Girl. Oh my god, the Phantom. Was he the one with the fucking ring on his hand? No, that's... No, he wasn't in that movie. He didn't do that. Yeah, no. The Phantom's the purple guy with uh, Billy Zane. That's, that's what I'm referring to. That's the dude with the fucking ring on his hand. Yeah, it's been a while since I've seen that movie. Oh my god, I remember having that damn ring. (laughs) 
But the thing is, Sam Raimi is, is a comic book guy. I think he always wanted to direct like a real comic book movie. I don't, I don't know how that came to be, but at this point, he established himself as a Hollywood director by the time he got to Spider-Man. I guess, but if he's such a... Um, I don't know, you're telling me that the last movie he did prior to that, Army of Darkness, did not blow numbers out of the water. I mean, they took a huge gamble in getting that guy involved in a movie, especially something like Spider-Man, knowing full well that he's not known to be a guy to really blow minds well he's not a big he's not uh, a box office number guy he's not he wasn't a spielberg no clearly not but it just intrigues me that we he went from evil dead which is a pretty gory uh series to doing a movie or doing a franchise that theoretically is not gory at all and more for families than Adults, because Spider-Man is something that you can promote to all audiences. Yeah, yeah. His Just, last film he directed was Oz the Great and Powerful. Oh, that Wizard of Oz remake he did with James Franco. Oh my God, they did a Oz remake. I definitely got to see that now. <laughs> but in the nineties, he also produced the. Didn't he do that show Xena Warrior Princess? I think he was a producer behind that, and that was pretty successful. Pretty successful. All I'm saying is that Spider-Man is meant to be out there, like big. I'm surprised he got that role, being that he didn't have a track record for really blowing numbers out of the water. Because at the end of the day, this is a business. It's all about wreaking it as much money as you possibly can. Regardless of quality. Look at, but, look but, at the, but, the draw, but the draw of that is, is Spider-Man. You don't, you, do you think it would still would have flopped? Well, depending on the direct, I'm looking at it from the aspect of somebody who's looking at a director who doesn't have a good track record of drawing in numbers. Are we going to trust him to make a movie that's going to intrigue audiences to want to keep coming back and buying tickets? Now, Diddy, personally, I like Spider-Man with William Dafoe, Tobey Maguire, James Franco, all that. I personally liked it. But was he going to create a movie intriguing enough for it? Because... As you said, the, the the most successful movies he was known for was Evil Dead. And these are freaking graphic movies. He can't do that with Spider-Man. He can't have carte blanche to just go ahead and create these graphic scenes involving Spider-Man and Green Goblin. He's got a little bit more of a limitation on his hands. Well, you know, you that would be an interesting argument. But then I would tell you to watch Darkman. Which you said was not that successful, right? No, but it is. It's it. It is a good project to show what he can do with a with a comic book type character. Darkman right. is a comic book movie without it being based on any comic books. But the fact that it wasn't successful... It was, it was moderately successful, that was. Moderately. It, wasn't it was more successful than Army of Darkness. Right, but Army of Darkness... Uh, there's a whole array of things that we can go over. We'll get over that when we get to it. But Evil Dead 1 and 2, I would think, are really successful, wouldn't you say? Yes. Yeah, so there you go. And that and his intriguing more, they're more, probably more successful now than they were when they came out. Well, so th there you go. But it, with Spider-Man, though, we're looking back on it. Most people are saying that those movies are a joke. Well, well, yeah, because of what we gotten later on. But it, it it's it's a movie of its time. A product of, of its time. Well, so is Evil Dead. But even people looking back on Evil Dead are saying that that movie is pretty epic. It's 
to me, it's clear as day that Sam Raimi's get to gab is just creating something real mysterious and just bizarre. And it says here, Sam Raimi was a popular choice for Sony for, to direct the film because of because he's a mark. He's a mark. He's a he was a comic book collector his whole life. But that's you know that's the thing. You want someone who's a good director, and Sam Sam Raimi has proven by this point, 2002, he can make solid films of almost all different genres. He did he did a film called The Gift. Which is on Paramount Plus. It stars. Uh, it's actually his first collaboration with J.K. Simmons, who, of course, he later used again in Spider-Man. Uh, he did the Western film The Quick and the Dead with Gene Hackman, uh, young Leonardo DiCaprio, Sharon Stone. But I guess let's let's go back to Evil Dead Two. So, I guess let, let, let's let's discuss the elephant in the room here. What caused Sam Raimi to take Evil Dead Two? And make it way goofier than what Evil Dead 1 was. Why did he go this direction? I'm not entirely sure. What I do know is that Stephen King is was a huge fan of the first film and he helped finance this movie. And this definitely shows because this movie had a way bigger budget and you can clearly tell. Yeah, it's not, not, not too big of a budget, but it did have a bigger budget than the first oh, film. Oh, yeah. I think Randy knew that if I'm going to make a sequel... I need more money because that's how it is. When you make a sequel, you want to go bigger. This movie in particular had a lot of stop motion. Yes. It's a good amount of it, but it was, I guess the, the issue is, is that it, there's one issue I have and it's a very simple issue that can be solved. Was this meant to be a follow-up to the first movie? Yes, but what happened was they couldn't get rights to the first film. All right. So, so the first few minutes is almost like I wouldn't just a retelling. I don't. I don't even know if that's the right word. A retelling, a remake, a quick recap. I mean, I guess I can see why they would give a recap to those who may have not seen the first film. But by the same token, had they just cut that part out? I think it would have made for better for this film. Just go right to the part where um, Ash is walking out of the, the, the cabin and then the, the whole whatever this thing is is coming through the building and it just it does what it does. Because in the end, this film is super different from the first. It's, mm. it's, it's almost like a dark comedy. Oh, it's super dark comedy, man. Like just a lot of corny shit happens in this film. Um, there's literally a part in this movie where Ash, Ash's hand literally gets possessed and he cuts it off and he start. there's one part in the movie where, pardon me, he's in the cabin and the cabin itself is laughing at him and the deer head with the white eyes comes out and starts laughing and the lamp starts laughing. The whole entire building, all parts are moving and laughing and he's just laughing along with them it's this film is really intriguing and then after he cuts his hand off his hand starts running around the whole entire cabin and he has to shoot it and when he shoots it he does a uh, he does kill it but then the blood from the hand inside the hole in the wall squirts out like bucket loads into his face and then sucks all that blood back out into black blood it's so weird. It's 
And I think the reason they changed the color of the bloods because like there's like black blood, there's green blood, and then when he fights a tree, the tree has purple blood. I think that was to avoid the censorship, so they don't oh. get hit with a NC-17. Well, I, I that, that part I don't mind. I'm just wondering what Sam Raimi was thinking going into this direction into more of a comedy thing, because that was a gamble in and of itself. To take Evil Dead and turn it into something even more goofy. Because the first film did fine. Why would you completely go into a direction that was not the the protocol to what made the first film successful in the first place? I think, I don't know what, why he went this direction. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm looking right now as we're talking. Um, but yeah, but, you know, and the... Um, in the Hell to the Dead Eyes documentary, the fan base is completely split on which one, which of the trilogy is superior. Because the first Evil Dead movie is just a straight up horror film. Yeah. The second one has its horror moments, but it's almost more of a comedy. Yeah. Like a dark comedy. Correct. And then once we get to the third one, that's just straight up an adventure film. Yeah, adventure that's like the comedy. kid friendly version. I mean, there is violence in, in Army of Darkness, but the gore in that film is nowhere near the gore in Evil Dead 1 and 2. And uh, for some odd reason, he called it Army of Darkness and didn't call it Evil Dead 3 Army of Darkness. Well, well I'll get to that story when we get to the third one. Correct. All right. So, yeah, so but, uh, our, our, we'll get to the basic gist of this film. So... Yeah, Ash Williams. It picks up where the first movie left off, but as you said, it retells the events. But when it retells the events, it's just him and his girlfriend. It doesn't have the other. It doesn't have his sister, and it doesn't have the other couple. It's just it's just him and the girlfriend. It roughly touches up on those events and goes right to when he just gets blasted. Now, from here. All the stuff continues, the, the, the mental torture onto Ash. Um, as we said, uh, keeps blasting him all over the place. There's so much shit that's going on here, but eventually he has to cut off his own hand uh, because his hand gets possessed. There's one point where he's looking into the mirror and the mirror turns into water. Um, there's... Uh, so there is two guys and two girls that are about to go to the cabin itself because one of them their parents were staying there or something like that well yes this the second film elaborates more on the backstory of the videotape that they played in the in the original yeah there was there was an older couple that were staying there to study the necronomicon that they found in egypt or wherever the fuck yeah and and the old man recorded did, did you know recorded was reading the dialogue from the book and he re and he recorded it so we're yeah. taking to this young woman who's uh the daughter of the elder couple and i think she's with a boyfriend or a brother or whatever and they're gonna go they're gonna go meet, meet up their parents in the cabin i said only one problem parents are there no explanation as to where they are though yes no explanation to where they are we were never introduced to them in the original and here, uh, well, we find out where at least the, where the mother was. Correct. So while we're, we got introduced to them, we're taking back to the cabin. Uh, Ash is having like hallucination scenes where he's like talking to the mirror and then his reflection grabs him and he's like choking himself. And then we mentioned you mentioned the possession of the hand. And I, I wanted to talk about 
Bruce Campbell's uh, physical acting here. He was fantastic in the kitchen. I mean, the guy's doing his own stunts here. He's throwing himself around. He's flipping himself onto the floor. Did he win anything? Of course not. I, I thought that was fantastic. And, and the best part was when he was knocked out, like, he has to make it look like his hand is still alive. But his hand once once saw the cleaver knife on the floor, wanted to grab it. But then Ash stabbed the hand. Of course, he cut it off. Who's laughing now? Yeah, the blood splatter all over his face. Yeah. And um, I saw the behind the scenes. I think that was. I think Sam Raimi was the one that was throwing the blood in the Ash's face. It was pretty cool. He's got he, Raimi's on the floor. And it was all right. Go yeah. And he's just. <laughs> He's dumping his hand into the bucket of blood, and just like flickering at his face. Yeah, I, I will say the one scene that really was like a little creepy was again we mentioned earlier the, the moose head turning around and laughing with the eyes. That that was a little bit off-putting. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, it's. But in the end, like I said, this is not a movie that's gonna really creep you out because of the fact that uh, too much comedy is going on, but. Yeah, the um, the four people come in. They think that Ash is the one that had something to do with the parents, so they lock him into the basement with uh, this old uh, deadite that's trying Henry to kill him. Yeah, it's uh, played by a Ted Raimi, Sam Raimi's brother, in uh, makeup. Yeah, the makeup was really freaking good because I wouldn't have known because it looked like an old ass woman. Um. What else happens here? There's the one guy uh, gets the research partner gets possessed at some point, and that's when Ash has to basically sever him into pieces, and that's with the green blood. Um, there's one part where Bobby Joe runs out, and the only reason I remember her name is it Bobby Joe? Am I correct? Yeah, you're right. She runs out and the tree does to her what happened to Ash's sister in the first film. Drags her completely by the branches. Except we don't see her again, so it's implied that the tree killed her. But I remember that name because they discover that they've got to read the scriptures in the papers to put the spirits to rest. But the redneck of the group, obviously being a hothead, was like, no, we're going to go look for Bobby Joe and then we're going to go and then drive away or whatever the hell it was. And they're like, she's dead as Dillinger. There's no way we're going to save her. So he takes the papers and throws them into that same cellar where the deadite is and says, now you got no choice. We're going to go look for Bobby Joe. <laughs> so they go outside and he just keeps screaming for Bobby Joe, this, that, and the other. And then uh, what happened next? God, and, uh, Bruce got possessed by uh, Bruce got possessed through uh, the character's name was Jake into a tree head first. Oh, that was great. <laughs> Shut his ass up. <laughs> and then yeah. the, other girl, the daughter, she's running for her life. Uh, she has a knife in her hand, ready to stab Ash as soon as he comes to the door. Someone mm -hmm. came through the door and she ended up accidentally stabbing Jake. That's right, and Jake was still alive, and there was a part where the Deadite, like, drags Jake into the cellar, and then that's when uh, they're fighting to get him back, and then all of a sudden the blood of him just starts squirting out. 
Kind of reminded me of um, Nightmare on Elm Street 1 when Johnny Depp's character goes on the bed and the blood shoots out from the bed. Very Except that one, that one was more creepy. This one was just over the top, obviously, for the, that reason. Um, yeah, so eventually Ash is able to get a hold of himself. He's no longer possessed. The power but, of love. He found his girlfriend's uh, necklace and was able to get the demon out of him. Or the Deadite. The Deadite, yes. Yeah, and and it was at this point they go to the, the basement to go get the papers. Get the papers. Hey, we're not yet. And then we go first we go to the shed. We get the iconic I scene. That. I was about to get to that part. <laughs> yeah, so this is where Ash develops the iconic look of himself where he uh, puts a chainsaw onto his hand and has a sawed-off shotgun. And then that's when he says his famous line, Groovy. There's a uh, theater reaction on YouTube of that scene. And once he said Groovy, the crowd lost their mind. <laughs> you would have thought he won the world title. <laughs> now, hold on. This crowd reaction. Was this a showing of the movie when it first aired or like a re-release? Oh, no. This is like a re-release of like whatever convention they have. Uh, okay. They're like Evil Dead conventions. They always they like replay the movies. So, yeah. They played it. The crowd Dude. went crazy. They knew it was coming though, but it is an yep. iconic. Yeah, it's it's iconic, so makes sense. Um, so yeah, they they go look for the papers. Look for the papers. Uh, I guess this this dead eye turns into like a weird creature esque, and there's one part where like the tree breaks in. And tries to attack. Um, the girl gets stabbed while she's trying to read the, uh, the 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 papers, and eventually they were able to subdue the curse because like some random black hole comes in. Oh yeah, they do kill the, the monster by chopping it up. Um, yes, and then the Mariano, after she makes like monkey noises when she like her like neck stretches out. Yeah, and she's like, I swallow your soul. Swallow this. Swallow <laughs> this. Yeah, what a great line. And um, so, yeah, he, he kills all that. But the black hole is starting to suck him. Suck him in. And then eventually he takes his car and himself into this weird uh, primitive timeline. And all these soldiers, these these ancient uh, knights. Yeah. Yeah, are looking at him like strangely, and then a flying Jedi comes and he blasts it in the face, and they see him as a hero, and that's the end of Evil Dead Two, and would set up the events for Army of Darkness, I think. Uh, yes, I know there was a scene in Evil Dead Two when they were going through the pages. There was a page, and it said like, "There's a." They mentioned how there was like a hero during the medieval times would help save this kingdom from the uh, Deadites. It was a picture of him, and they didn't notice. They didn't know it at that point. And then, right. um, and then Annie, who was the daughter, she knew how to translate the passages that was in the uh, in the Necronomicon. So it was written in a different language. And of uh -huh. course, she again stabbed in the back by uh, Ash's evil hand. And she ended up um, opening up almost like a time, like a time warp, which Ash got sucked into along with his old mobile. 
get transported back in time to, I believe, thir- the 1300s, the medieval times. Correct. And of course, they the knight they were they were almost gonna kill him because they thought he was a, a demon, a deadite, until they actually saw him, ran for the hills, and the first thing Ash does is gets up, shoots, and blows the damn thing's head off. And by the way, the knight that revealed that he, he was coming from the sky to get out the redness of the deadites. That is director Sam Raimi in a cameo. Okay. And then they hail Ashley Williams as like a king. And he's like, no, no, why am I here? And the end. Evil yep. Dead 2. It was, when I first saw this film, because I had watched it before, I liked it. I didn't like it as much as the first film. I liked it way better the second viewing. I came to enjoy it. Because when I first watched it, I wasn't expecting a comedy film. I guess that's what threw me off. When I watched it the second time, knowing it was a little bit goofy, I came to enjoy it. It was very good. I love it. I think it's a great sequel. I think it's an underrated horror sequel. I don't think it gets talked about enough. Especially within, and all the, it gets talked about a lot within the Evil Dead community. Is it better than the first one? I don't know because it's such a different film from the first one. In fact, all three films are different from each other. So I just mentioned if this this one is definitely more of a a horror comedy esque. I mean, it's it's heavily influenced by the Three Stooges. I mean, you can tell Raimi is a huge Three Stooges mark. You see that you see that more again when you get to Army of Darkness. I don't even think you can compare the two, to be honest. It's it's a very it's a hard comparison. It's a, it's hard to compare all three to each other. Yeah, for sure, especially. Yeah, because it really depends your taste. Because I know people who don't like Army Darkness but love the first, but love the first film. Mm-hmm. And this this one, Evil Dead Two, is definitely more campy. We, we yeah. went, there's a lot of there's a lot of stop motion. There's stop motion in the third one as well. Even in the first one, you had stop motion. At least when you know when the demons were like melting. Yeah, but the first one was so much cheaper because the budget was so much lighter. Mm-hmm. He didn't have as much of a budget as he did going into the sequel and going into Army of Darkness. The hero was a lot more obvious. But yeah, it, this was a very good film. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. There was a lot to be liked here. It's a very fun. It's a fun film. I mean, Raimi knows how, knows how to make a fun movie. Even if it's ridiculously cheesy, but it works. It surprisingly worked here. You'd have told me you're getting, I'm going to go more campy. Like, oh, like, why? (laughs) You probably would have tried to talk him out of it. Yeah, at the time. That's why it was just like such a devoid of what he did with the uh, first film, which was six years prior to this one. Yeah. And then on top of it, Evil did two and Evil, uh, well, Army of Darkness. That also had nearly a six-year gap. So who the hell knows what his thinking was to go this route and how he ended it here? Yeah, I mean, if you have not seen, if you've only seen Evil Dead, if you have not seen this film and you expect you're going to just expect it to be like the first film, you will be disappointed. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Because this was, yeah, this was totally different. It had the same atmosphere, had the same. Bruce Campbell playing Ash Williams, but oh yeah, totally different. Totally goofy up the wall. 
Yeah, and uh, I guess yeah, yeah, I guess we'll head into Army of Darkness. I I recommend Evil Dead too. Obviously, two thumbs way up for me. I'm pretty sure the same for you. Two thumbs up, yeah, definitely. And then we get to Army of Darkness. Of course, in between those films, Raimi got the attention of Hollywood. We mentioned he made Darkman, which was a moderate success, and but it was enough for Sam Raimi to um, pitch them Evil Dead Three. And the studio says, "No, we're not going to call it that." Oh, okay. Uh, how about Medieval Dead? We're not going to call it that either. Oh, God damn it! Army of how, how about Army of Darkness? We like that. Uh, this was um, distributed by Universal Studios. Universal wanted this film to have its own identity. It's almost like they, it's almost like they quietly didn't want it to be a sequel. It's like but, they acknowledge it's a, it's a sequel but at the same time they didn't because they try to give it its own title, its own feel. Yeah, it got its own feel, but they also recapped the first two movies in the beginning of this movie. And Linda was recasted again, this time played by a Bridget Fonda. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. So. Recast three times. We got three different Lindas. How did the movie ended in Evil Dead 2 with Ash Williams killing a deadite and they saw him as a hero. Here he's starting off as a prisoner. And, and yeah, they made some changes. Yes. So, I'm not, I mean, I am going crazy, but I'm not going crazy in the sense of I noticed a weird contradiction there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It all so, makes sense. Yeah, Army of Darkness, um, again, it starts off with the retelling of the second film. They used more, it's like they re, they reshot the Linda scenes. I don't know why. They could have just, they could have just recycled the footage from the second film. But uh, in the original cut of the movie, I mean, Linda had more scenes with Ash. I mean, especially when, in the beginning. Well, we knew more about Ash in this film. We learned that he was working at a warehouse before he went to the cabin. So he it's like every guy. every film we learn a little more what they were doing prior. Yeah, and he's just a simple guy. Simple guy working at a warehouse uh, or like a retail store. Meets a cute cashier girl, Linda. They decide to go to a cabin, and of course, it's basically Evil Dead 2. They recap everything that happened in that film, and then we get to Army of Darkness. I forgot to mention the special effects makeup were done by Greg Nakataro, Robert Kurtzman, director Wishmaster, Howard Berger, all those three, same three guys that did Dust Till Dawn. They did the effects for um, Evil Dead 2, and they came back to do Army of Darkness. Yeah, so this film is super different. He's yeah. Then 1300 AD. PG-13. They're, they're, yeah, they're accusing Ash and this other group of people that they killed this girl's brother that was there at the uh, 1300s, whatever her name is. For some reason, her name is Sheila, I think. Sheila, yes. Played by M. Beth Davids, who played Mrs. Honey in Matilda. Or Miss Honey, whatever. Really? Oh, wow, I didn't even notice that. But yeah, anyways. So, um... They, uh, they lock him as a prisoner because they think he's one of Henry's men. Henry is a rival of theirs. Right, so they, they throw him into a chamber with, uh, a deadite. Well, first they threw someone else in there. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, 
awkward, awkward moment of silence. Everyone's trying to look into the hole, and then like a a laser shoot of blood just comes popping out, which is probably the goriest scene in the movie. Yeah, everything else is just like goofy. They throw Ash in there and gets involved in the fight with the Deadeye, wins, gets out of the hole and just basically says, anybody that touches me, blow your fucking head off. Come on, let's go. And so they reach... (laughs) Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. Yes. There's one... So the basic gist is, is that Ash wants to get back to his time period. And there's a way to do it. You gotta go grab the Nepro- what is it called? The Necrocomicon? Nemo- <laughs> Nemo- Necrocomicon? Necronomicon. The Necrocomicon. Oh my god, now you got me doing it. <laughs> the Necrocomicon. Uh, it says here, the, through the magical Necronomicon. Necronomicon, okay. Necronomicon Ex Mortis. So, we'll just call it the Necronomicon for short. I'll call it the Book of the Dead. Or, yeah, that's even better. The Book of the Dead. We'll go with that. So, yeah, uh, there's a deal that has to be made. He wants to go back to his time period. They say, yes, we can bring you back. But you got to get the Book of the Dead. And there are certain spells we can use to get you back. However, there are three words that you must say before uh, when you grab the book right beforehand. It's very important that you say that. Those three words. So, Klaatu, Verata, Nictu. The same three words that was used in the day the Earth stood still, 1956. Correct. Recycling those three classic lines. You gotta, so, be, that's a, you gotta be a science fiction nerd, fan nerd to know that. Ash goes on his adventure. There's one part where he's locked in a cabin. And there's like a broken mirror and he sees his reflection as small little ashes come out and fuck with him. I know they poke him in the ass with a fork. Uh, there's one part where he's knocked out and they literally open his mouth so that one of the small ones can jump inside him and get into him after being swallowed. So then he thinks that, oh, so payback, I'll just swallow a bunch of hot boiling water alright so he swallows boiling water problem is the thing grows inside of him comes out and they have like a little fight shoots a damn thing in the face and buries it okay so that scene originally went a lot longer yeah I wonder because there's like four different versions of this movie Mm mhm because they, they cut out the scene where he found his horse again after he fell off of it when he was being chased by the cameraman, Demon. Mm-hmm. And then when he went back to his cabin, he saw himself in, inside the cabin. The evil Ash closed the door. He went inside the cabin and then he ran into the mirror, kind of like how they did the movie. And then, of course, the little ashes. And then th- that scene went a little longer as well. He burned one of the little ashes in his uh, fire pit. Uh, that would have been racing to keep in. wonder why they got rid of that. He banged his head on this, yeah, and then he like got all this dust on his face, and then that's when he was doing the London Bridge. See, so, yeah, there, there was more scenes, but they cut it down because the student wanted like an 80-minute... They wanted the movie to be under 90 minutes. So that's why they cut out a lot of shit. Probably for the best, because then the movie would have dragged too much. 
think the movie was at a perfect time. So, eventually he gets to the graveyard. He's got to get the Necronomicon. There you go. The Book of Dead. But there's three of them. So, he's like, wait a minute, three books? Nobody said anything about three books. So he opens one book and it nearly sucks him in. It's like, like a wor- uh, giant wormhole. <laughs> yeah. Then the second book bites his hand. And the third book, he now has to say the words. Except he can't remember the third word. So he goes, it's an N-word. I know it's an N-word. No, we're not thinking of that word, guys. <laughs> I knew it. So he says, it's an N-word. I know it's an N-word. So he just goes, and then just, Rana, <laughs> grabs the book and thunder hits, raises, uh, who's the main villain of this film? Evil Ash. Evil Ash. There you go. Evil Ash is risen and uh, he goes back to give the book to the villagers. And they say, did you say the words when you got this book? And he goes, yeah, well, maybe not every single syllable, but for the most part. Well, and because then, uh, he, didn't say, he didn't say those words. He didn't say it. Uh, they brought back the dead. The dead rose because he didn't do the one job he was supposed to do. He screwed up. Yeah. So they said... Uh, he's like, who cares? You gotta bring me back. And they're like, yes, we can bring you back, but this book is useless to us. They're gonna try and get it back and kill us. He's like, well, that's part of the deal. I don't care. I got you the book, now you gotta bring me back. And they're about to send him back, knowing for well that they're all gonna die, and they don't look at him as a hero anymore. Yeah, Ash, Ash is showing off his selfish side of him. He just wants to go home. Well, that's when evil Ash goes and steals Sheila. His brings girl. her yeah, brings him back to his facility where all the little skeleton soldiers are going to help him out. And then that's when uh, the big war's got to start. Ash has to develop a team. They aren't so sure about it. And that's when he decides, why don't we uh, gather the other guys that you accused me of working with and let's get them together. And so... They work diligently to get everybody prepared with the flaming arrows and get ready for a fight. Yes, Every time. During the scenes, he was showing them how to make gunpowder. Since, because Nash, I think, was a. In the first movie, they did say he wasn't he like a book nerd? I don't. I don't remember. I can't remember, but I guess they kind of touched up on that again because he had a lot of books in his trunk and he made gunpowder. He was teaching them how to fight. He definitely stepped up. So once the fight the, starts, they gain their respect again. Evil Ash comes in with his soldiers, and then they start with the flaming arrows. For some reason, this big fight scene reminds me of the final big fight scene in South Park Stick of Truth, where the big war starts between the humans and the elves. And they're all fighting over the stick and who has possession of it. I'm not going to get into it because it's all South Park humor. No, you're going to understand it. But it, for some reason, I think they took from this a little bit, not too much. And and Sam Raimi took the uh, stop motion skeletons from Jason and the Argonauts, an old Ray Harryhausen film from the 60s. 
a lot of similarities and a tribute so, to a lot of uh, skeletons being dismembered a lot of uh, knights being slaughtered it's just one big fight scene which is actually really good it's a really good sure. fight so just a bunch of violence so really is and then it's evil ash versus ash i think there's a point where ash does burn him but he just comes right back as a skeleton and there's one part in particular where uh he's sitting on a little sling or the slingshot and he ash is able to shoot him into the air and have him explode yep and that's how he defeated evil ash there is a scene in there too he um fought evil sheila his, his evil girlfriend mm-hmm I think I think he he kicked her into the uh, the pit. <laughs> yeah, and he, and he stabbed her like he did not hold back on this girl. He fought her like a man. <laughs> well, yeah, I think he's been through enough trouble to where he knew that this wasn't really her. So yeah, a lot, a lot of fun stuff. This was a it, the whole battle scene was great. Uh, he turned his old mobile into like a um, a giant fan, almost like. And he would go into the field, just start wiping out the skeletons. A lot of fun. Yeah, there was a lot of good to be had here. Once uh, he's defeated, the skeletons are like, retreat, retreat. Let's get the hell out of here. Let's get the hell out of here. <laughs> yeah, they pretty much had it won. And so, yeah, they basically told him, yeah, uh, we can send you back now. Yep. Uh, Henry, uh, Henry's uh, team came through during the battle. They all hugged out, and then uh, that's when they were able to give Ash his wish. But, oh, yeah, he had to say goodbye to Sheila because he's going back to his time period. And it was then that they told him to go back. You're going to drink this liquid, and you got to say those same three words that you couldn't fucking remember how to say them. And uh, apparently the next thing we see is he's in that warehouse talking yes, to a guy exactly. who He's back in the retail store. Basically, the whole story, the whole movie was told through flashback. And then mm -hmm. we're present where he's telling the story to uh, Ted Raimi. And then Ted and Ted asked him, so did you say the words right this time? Yeah. And, well, and he said the same thing. Oh, you know, I didn't say every teeny weeny little soul. So but it, it was close enough. And that's when he saw a female customer, I guess it was. Was it Linda? Uh, no, it's just a new girl. Yeah, so nah. he never got to see Sheila again. Nope. That sucks. Well, that being said, another Deadeye comes, another big fight scene, he kills the Deadeye. And that was it. That's hail Army to the Dark. Baby. Yeah, hail to the king, baby. And that was it. That was the end of uh, Army of Darkness. And... This became a comic book series after this movie ceased. Yep. Did so. you see the alternate ending I showed you? You did send it to me. I never got a chance to watch it. Well, long story short, that ending we saw in Army Targets with him killing the de uh, Deadite in the uh, retail store. That was the studio ending. That okay. wasn't the ending that Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell wanted. What, what happened was... After he said goodbye to Sheila, he went into the cave. He was supposed to uh, do those drops and say the words. Yep. Ash fucking screwed up again. 
he ate one drop too many because he did one, two, three. He got distracted because he heard noises, and then he was like, three, four. Hmm. So he had one drop. He got the words right this time, but he ate a drop too many. He woke up into like a dystop dystopian future. Everything, you know, like there's no more sit us. Uh, civilian civilization, that's the word. Yeah. And he's just like, no, damn it. And then that was the end of the movie. Oh, jeez. And what? And the original idea with Sam Raimi was that they wanted to make another movie or ashes in the future, and it's him and robots fighting the Deadites. That would have been interesting. That was the original ending they had. The test audience didn't like that ending. The studio wasn't too crazy about it, so they told Raimi to uh, write a happy ending. And then that's the ending we got in the movie. I mean, on one end, that's probably the right call, because let's just say he would have went with his ending. And the movie flopped. Well, then nobody's going to put up the money to go ahead and make an Army of Darkness 2. And now you're left with the inconclusive ending to a trilogy. There's nothing more annoying than having a movie series or a TV series end on a cliff note. Because when they're about to conclude it or actually explain it, the show either gets canceled or whatever. Well, that's always it works, yeah. Yeah, I, I think I've mentioned on this show Moody's point, my issue with that show and how that ended. Yeah. <laughs> so, there you go. I, I would have been upset. I mean, you still could have done that. You could have still, like, come up with done the movie that you did here and then come up with the, the fourth movie where you show the intro where you're recapping and it's like, well, that's not what really happened. And then do what you wanted to do. Because the movies, um, you know, themselves, ever since Evil Dead 2, have just been corny as shit. So, I'm a little bit perplexed on why this was called Army of Darkness and not Evil Dead 3. But, okay. Well, let's take it up to Universal. They didn't, they didn't like the title. They wanted it to be its own thing. So then why not just have your own thing? Why take a franchise and then say, well, we're going to take your franchise, but we want it to be its own thing. Just get well, your own thing. Well, it own, their own thing will probably require them recasting Bruce Campbell. Because for some reason, I don't know why, Hollywood was never interested in Bruce Campbell. This was Bruce's only starring role for a major motion picture. His first time and his only time. It had to be because he had the reputation of always starring in beat movies. Not by 90... When is come on? 93? Not by 93. He may have done some, but you gotta start somewhere. Liam Neeson wasn't a name either by 1990 when they wanted him to be the starring role for Darkman. And the reason they didn't they didn't want Bruce Campbell was because, well, he's not a name. Well, neither was I, freaking Liam Neeson. I didn't say Hollywood was consistent. <laughs> there, there, there's so many ass-backwards things about Hollywood that it's not even funny. It's like... How, how many actresses do you know that are, like, a pudgy and overweight and all that stuff, and they're getting good roles? Like, those girls... What was that movie with um, Anna Kendrick and Anna Camp, where they're, like, a rock band, a female rock band? They have the one girl who's, like, a little bit uh, on the pudgy side. But yet, Hollywood's all about girls being as thin as fucking possible, which led to Brittany Murphy 
constantly under eating herself. Not, yeah. yeah, it's not consistent at all. Or look at look at Steve Buscemi, for example. He's gone on record to say that there have been dentists out there that have said that they'll fix his teeth for free. They will actually go out of their way to give him brand new teeth. And he refuses because he feels that the teeth he has is what got him a lot of big roles that he was able to obtain. But you would think that, okay, in a Hollywood, they, somebody would need perfect teeth. Well, Steve Buscemi kind of like contradicts that point. Hollywood's never been consistent. I don't know. I don't know what their beef is with Bruce Campbell. I don't know, but I mean, Bruce Campbell has, you know, has appeared in a lot of major films, but never as a leading man. I like, you know, supporting roles, little cameo here and there. And that's, that's really it. But yeah, I mean, he's, some people say Bruce Campbell, he's like the perfect B movie actor. He's the A, he's the A-list B movie guy. Maybe it's his chin. Oh, they call him the chin. Unfortunately, not the crimson chin. <laughs> Bruce Campbell, you know, he still keeps himself busy. He does, he's done a lot of stuff. I imagine so. Isn't he? Aren't they making a new Evil Dead film? Supposedly. Uh, I think it's called Evil Dead Rise. And I'm assuming you haven't seen Ash vs. Evil Dead. I saw the first season, all of it. And I saw like half of the second season. It's all on Netflix. And that ending I just told you about with the... The future with the robots. That's kind of that's kind of how the show ended. Oh, yeah, because I know the show got canceled. I wonder huh. if it had done better had it been on, like on Netflix, because it was on Stars. That was the thing, because I remember trying to watch it at the time it got released, and it was not as accessible as it seems to be now. And for those that have not seen Ash vs Evil Dead, I check it out. It's it's all on Netflix. I think it's it's a pretty underrated show. It's a lot of fun. Bottom of Darkness is a fun film. Yeah, I I can't take that away. It's a it's a very fun film. Um, this was this Army of Darkness was my first exposure to this franchise. It was actually funny thing because when I first watched Evil Dead, I remember my wife watching it for the first time. And she's like, "Oh yeah, that's Bruce Campbell. I saw him in that movie, Army of Darkness." Not putting two and two together that that's an Evil Dead film. So when Army of Darkness came on, or when I got the chance to watch it, then she realized, oh shit, this is actually Evil Dead 3. Yeah, because it's like, because both of the Evil Dead 2 and 3 start off with basically recaps. So, in essence, do you need to watch the previous film to watch these films? Because it Gets you up to speed with what happened previously. Yeah, yeah, it does. I still would answer your question. Not really. I would still strongly recommend watching all three in order. But um, now, as far as ranking them, that's a different story. That's very hard. Very hard because they're all three different. I like them all three for their own individuality. Mm-hmm. And and with Army of Darkness, if you're asking me, I would probably give it two thumbs up as well. Yes, The good thing about these films is they're not too long. They don't drag. 
Um, and they're all unique in their own way. Yeah, and they're all under 90 minutes. Which it didn't need to be any longer than that. There are movies I think that deserve to be long, like Godfather and stuff like that, because there's so much stuff to sift through. But not with Evil Dead. It does not need to be that long. Yeah, because, you know, because you mentioned Godfather, there's so much material and there's so much, as you mentioned, things to sit through. I mean, Evil Dead, it's a very basic story. The first one, five friends at a cabin, re- uh, listen to a videotape, now realizing you just woke woken up like a, an evil force within the woods and you got to survive the night. Second film, very similar. Third one, kind of like that. He ends up back in time and he has to fight, he has to find a way back home while trying to fight the deadites in this in a completely different time period they're all just like i said they're all three different films in and of itself so definitely check them out i mean we already reviewed evil dead one very early on in this podcast's lifespan yeah and i i gotta get the audio from that too from uh uh mr gangone i guess so i can upload that one for all you guys to hear yeah that's one of our earlier episodes and I'm happy we finally got around to doing uh, two and three. One, yeah. of my fa- one of my favorite trilogies. One of my favorite film trilogies. Uh, yeah. It's up there along with um, Dark Knight trilogy, I would say. Godfather trilogy would be great if the third one was up to par. Yeah, the third one, yeah, was really lackluster. Yeah, I'd have to watch it again. I don't remember hating it as much as everybody, but... I didn't hate that film. It was just very, just compared to the first film, it's a big step down. As a film of itself, if you look at it by its own, on its own, it's all right. Mm-hmm. It's it's very average. Yeah, I mean, even on its own, that's not saying much. Yeah, I mean, you you had a movie, You only have one memorable line in that film. Just when I thought I was out, they pull me sure. back. Pull me in. back in. Yeah. Okay, I remember that. But yeah, everybody, check out um, the Evil Dead trilogy. Uh, one and two are streaming right now on Shutter. Uh, Evil, Evil Army of Darkness is streaming on HBO Max. And I will also—I mentioned it earlier in the podcast—I would recommend Hell to the Deadites. It's a documentary film on Shutter, talking about the Evil Dead fan base and interviewing a lot of different Evil Dead fans and how you know it just about their love for the entire franchise and the show and Bruce Campbell and where they rank all the three films. I recommend it to you too as well. And again, that documentary is only like 70 minutes. Flies by. I'll definitely check it out. And how um it's kind of in how like people will fly from all over the world to uh, go to these different Evil Dead conventions. Um I think they had a story of a couple who proposed one of the conventions it's crazy it's very and in one story they touched upon was very similar to our story when when it came to that first wrestlemania trip these guys they just talked online and these guys are coming in from europe and there is like a convention in chicago and that's where they all like met up for the first time damn and they've been yeah, yeah they, they've been talking for years and they're just talking about you know we want to save up we want to save up and they did this right before the pandemic hit too i believe that just goes to show, like, fandom nowadays is just so unique because most people now befriend each other because of it. It's just crazy to think how many different fr- uh, franchises have led people to becoming friends. Yeah, all, all because of the common thing that they love, you know, 
any form of pop culture, whether it be, you know, the horror uh, of a movie or wrestling or anything or sports. Yeah, I've met a lot of my friends that I st still talk to to this day from pro wrestling. Like me! Yeah. It's been a long 15 years. Yeah, it's been a long time. Groovy. And I think that's going to do it for this episode. Wow, this episode lasted just as long as the movies. Oh, well, we did have a lot of news updates to talk about, and we reviewed two movies. Yes, sir. Yeah, we did. And that's going to do it for episode 83. Yeah, we're going to go to 83. For Terminator... From, oh, my God. For Monoxide, I'm Terminator Travis. How does it feel? Groovy.